God's calmness that he provides us. We're worshiping him. We're closing out this morning a study on the book of 1 Peter and next week a message on the crucifixion, death of Christ, and then, of course, Easter of the resurrection, our ultimate hope in Christ. And this morning we are closing out in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, and then with an overview of the chapter, I want to ask you if you will stand in our great God's honor as I read from his word. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed, Lord. I pray this morning that as we close out this wonderful letter, Father, that we would see your guidance and that we would see the wisdom you provide, Father, in regards to facing tough times and suffering. That you provide strength through that. And Father, I pray that we might be able to hear from your Holy Spirit about that truth this morning. Father, speak to our hearts, Lord. Say far beyond what I'm able to say. Holy Spirit teaches. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we come to the end of this book, 1 Peter, it is a message sent to those who were suffering. Specifically, those who were suffering for believing in Jesus. For living for Jesus. For loving Jesus so much that it was more than what they said. It was who they were. That when people looked at them, they saw something that was attractive. Something that they desired. Which, of course, was the Lord himself. That these people, in sharing Jesus because of who they were, it wasn't easy. They suffered as a result of that. And I thought about our land it's interesting, I listened to one podcast by Jay Sekulow, who is the head of the ACLJ and um, is a lawyer. They, they hold a lot of cases where religious liberty is threatened. And I heard him the other day talking about how there is a, a strong movement, which we're really aware of, across our whole land where they're trying to remove anything that speaks of God. Um, any statue, uh, any kind of tablet, anything that mentions God or, or, or points to God. And he said at this point, they're able to win those cases. But they keep pushing these cases over and over again with hopes, I guess, that we'll forget the history of who we are. All over Washington, D.C., in, in, in courthouses and in other buildings and in the White House, all around uh, on, on different statues and different memorials, there's mention of God. But it seems that as time goes on more and more in these attacks, there is a specific attack to take God out of our culture, 
out of our nation, out of our land, out of our thinking. As if God never existed. As if he was a fairy tale or a fable. And quite honestly, as these attacks keep coming, there's a hope that people become more and more numb to the attacks and finally forget who they are, where this nation came from, and the blessings, the source of those blessings, until finally there's no mention of God. Or you don't have to worry about God. There are lands outside the United States. They don't have religious liberty. They don't have the freedom to worship God without the fear of being hurt, experiencing pain and suffering and great loss. And I guess in this land, to be just quite honest about it, when you're super blessed, it's easy to not even realize the blessing. Like a fish in water, he doesn't know he's wet. And maybe for many of us, we take for granted God's blessings and the great freedoms that we enjoy. I, it was interesting this week I was reading an article on the country of Iran. And if you listen to the media, all you hear is Islam is taking over. They're wiping out Christianity in the Middle East. There will be no Christians left. But this great article, I just want to read a few portions of it uh, from Iran. It says, Hundreds of thousands of Christians are worshiping secretly in a rapidly accelerating house church movement in Iran. As a London-based theological seminary is aiding the movement by training the next generation of its spiritual leaders. Some estimate, such as uh, one estimate by Open Doors USA, that there are as many as 450,000 Believers, Christians in Iran. Others say it could be as many as a million Christians in Iran. And there are at least 200 Iranian Christians who are being trained by this London-based theological seminary to become the next generation of leaders in Iran. The leader of the seminary sees this as a chance to train agents of change who would transform the Iranian society from the bottom up by fostering a grassroots development of the values of Jesus in an Iranian style, the source stated. This is not a political movement at all, but it will have political implications because it's touching the core foundations of society. This is battling prostitution and drug addiction. If you want to live in a country that doesn't fund terrorists, you have to develop the values of grassroots. It's not anti-Iranian. It's an Iranian movement. It's a great number of Muslims turning to Jesus Christ. This is the source explained that due to the fear of government crackdown, Iranian house churches consist of four or five members in a house. And they have to change where they meet every time for safety. If they want to sing, they have to sing very quietly or not sing at all. Says that the seminary broadcast courses over two satellite channels into Iran where thousands of Christians watch these. And he said, for now they're training 200 leaders, but the goal is training a thousand Christian leaders in Iran. It doesn't sound to me like the church is dying, but the church is awakening and it's growing. 
in Iran. And typically, throughout history, that's what's happened, guys. The place where there is great blessing, there tends to grow great apathy. And the place where there is suffering, you see, when you come to a place where you realize, I really need Jesus, you really need Jesus. And there's an awakened love for Him. And I guess the good news is, as we begin to lose some of the blessings we've enjoyed for so long, it'll put us on our knees to see Jesus. Now, with that in mind, I, I know I need to spend half my time here. I'll try to go through here. I know there's a hundred sub-points here. I'll try to fly through these. Um, first, look at these observations Peter wrote the letter. As we see in the first of the letter, it's from Peter. Who was Peter? He was a guy who was never lukewarm about anything. He went in both feet first, regardless of where he was going, full throttle. In his worship of Jesus, he was the guy, when he listened to Jesus talk about the suffering that was coming, he says, not I, Lord, I'll be with you to the very end. No matter what happens, you can count on me. And what Jesus say, uh, you're going to die me three times. You'll hear the rooster crow. And there was bitter weeping as Peter felt Jesus. It was ugly. And Jesus came to him. It says after Peter wept bitterly and he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Tend my lambs. One more time he says to him, Peter, do you really love me? Feed my sheep, Peter. You know, I love you, Lord. And God reinstated Peter. This is a guy, he, he knew what it was like to be broken. He knew what it was like to be restored. That's the one who wrote the letter. Secondly, hurting people received this letter. They were frightened, but they were not forgotten. God had not forgotten them. And God spoke to His people through this letter written by Peter. And, and I want you to notice in our text here, makes mention of a guy named Silas. You know, we often talk about these missionary journeys of Paul. We talk about Barnabas. Not a lot of mention about Silas. Peter calls him a faithful brother here. Go back to in the book of Acts. It says that Paul and Barnabas were ready to go out on a mission trip together. And they got in this argument. Yeah, Christians argue sometimes and it can get really loud. And evidently this got to be loud and it was passionate. And the argument was, Barnabas said, I want to take this young guy, John Mark, with us. He loves the Lord. And Paul said, hey, we were out and we were in the middle of battle and he ran with his tail between his legs. I don't want to go out with him again. I don't trust him. And so there was this battle that went back and forth. And I could almost... Imagine Barnabas saying to Paul, Well, I remember when nobody trusted you, Paul, and I gave you a second chance. Well, they took off. It says that Barnabas took John Mark with him, and Paul took Silas. Silas was a faithful partner to Paul. Later on, he would be a faithful partner with Timothy. And it's interesting here that Peter says he's a faithful brother to me. He's been there for me. And then third, evidently, Peter dictated what needed to be written. And Silas is the one that wrote the words down on the parchment. We see in verse 12, he says, With the help of Silas, I've written to you briefly. And it's interesting, as you look at this letter in the Greek, 
It changes from a more formal style of Greek to where you get to this final greeting in these last couple of verses. As Peter, in a very common, simple way, writes his final greetings. And as he mentions Paul. Fourth, there's some mention here of a, of a woman. It says in verse 13, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings and so does my son, Mark. And, and so the question is, who is she? And we honestly don't know for sure who she was. Some people say, well, maybe she's a reference to the church, to the believers. Others say, well, maybe this is speaking about Peter's wife. Yeah, yeah, he was married. In 1 Corinthians 9, 5, Paul said, now wait a minute, some of the other apostles like Peter bring their wife along. Shouldn't I have that right as well? And so there's a mention of his wife. Matter of fact, remember it talks about that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So we're not sure possibly one of those. Or if it was a spiritual son, maybe it's speaking of John Mark who I mentioned earlier. A fifth, the final command is intimate affection. Look what he says here in this command. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You see, in those ancient days, the, the kiss of love, the holy kiss, it, it was an affectionate greeting that, that showed uh, a genuine concern and love for others in the church and the body of Christ. But what happened over time, that which has meaning begins to lose meaning. Started out, it was that holy kiss on the cheek, and then it became well, just the men could. Give the men a holy kiss and just the women could give the women a holy kiss. We can't mix those two. And then it got to a point where we'll just kiss a holy document. You know, boy, that's a lot of fun. And then it got to the point where they just kissed a board. So we went from a kiss on the cheek to kissing a board. Are you kidding me? There was that loss of intimacy. Augustine said that when Christians were about to communicate, they showed their inward peace by the Outward kiss. And that was one thing that made Judas's kiss of betrayal so painful. As it was a, a sign of faithfulness and he was coming to betray his Lord. Now I want to spend the remainder of this time. I think it's worthwhile for you to go back and to be able to study in this book on your own and to read. And I'll just give a brief outline of a breakdown of the book. Because this, this letter is a fine companion to suffering with the Lord. And I don't know how long it will be. It may not be that far. Well, we may be suffering for just believing in Christ. Just speaking out for Him. And living for Him faithfully. Uh, so let's just look at this breakdown here. First one. Chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 10. The faith is a living hope to claim. It's a living hope to claim. Chapter 1, as we march here, I love verse 3. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new hope, in new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He starts out here, he says, hey, 
faith in Jesus Christ, it's a living faith. It's hope through living faith. And it comes because Jesus is alive. The one who is risen, He raises us from spiritual death and gives us spiritual life. And he goes on, he tells us an inheritance that's waiting for us. In verse 7, he, he says that our, our faith has to be refined as we go through those tough times. And God builds within us character and strength and perseverance. And, and then in verse 23 of chapter 1 through chapter 2, in those verses, talks about having faith in His Word. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen that wonderful prayer, He said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He's speaking about taking God's truth and it being implanted in your life. He says it is a living, it is a living hope. And we are to claim it by faith. We are to follow him by faith in that trust. second part of this is the pilgrim life and how to live it. And we do that by submission. That's chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter 4, verse 11. He tells us in chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. He's talking about here. You're to live not for this place, but for Him. And here's how to do it. He says it's through submission. It's through not always demanding your rights, but always looking to Him who's always right. And being willing to look for what God wants and how to help other people, how to guide them to God. That's the heart. And it's interesting here as you go down through the chapter, chapter 2, verse 13, it talks about submitting to the government. And as much as we complain about our government now, in Peter's day they had this guy Nero. And you talk about a bad dude. He would use Christians as human torches and put tar and pitch on them and use them to light the Colosseum or he'd feed them to the lions. He hated Christians. And yet, the command from God through Peter was submit yourselves to the government leaders. And and then he talks about slaves. Submit yourselves to your masters. I, I guess the contemporary parallel that today would be submit yourself to your boss. Follow the one you're working for. In chapter 3, verse 22, there's the ultimate picture here of submission. Where it talks about our Lord who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him so that all are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then one last part of this letter to look at is 4.12 through 5.11. The fiery trial that will be faced and, and how to endure it. And we do it by cooperation. By cooperation. Uh, tells us in 4.12 through 4.19, God's still in charge. He's in control. So it's through cooperation It's by looking to God and cooperating with Him and His power that's within us. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it talks about the flock of God. In other words, we're in this thing together as God's people, and we need to love God together as we draw strength from Him and one another. That's how we get through the fiery trial. And then in verses 6 
through 11. It's ultimately through his strength that we're able to endure, able to make it. Now, as I wrap this thing up, some closing thoughts here. When our faith is weak, joy strengthens us. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, or in his favor is life. But weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, there's that time of of weeping, but there's joy that comes as we endure and he strengthens us. Secondly, when our good's mistreated, endurance stabilizes us. When you're doing good and you face mistreatment, just stay at it. And he stabilizes us. Third, when our confidence is shaken, love supports us. There is that support of love that holds us up, the love of God. So keep fervent in loving Him and one another. When our adversary attacks us, resistance shields us. There are those spiritual attacks, and and we looked at that last time. And by submitting to God and resisting, He shields us. And then finally, when departure is forced upon us, grace sustains us. When someone we love is ripped from our lives... When a a relationship is severed for some reason, when it's forced upon us, God's grace is there to sustain us. Through his book, his letter of 1 Peter, there's guidance in how to face persecution. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we have a job and it's to listen to you. Lord, and as we come to this time now, Father, uh, I just pray that you would look at our hearts, Father, and we would be open to you, Lord, that we would listen to you, and that we would learn from you, and that we would follow you, and for some here, that may mean for the first time now, this moment, to say, I need someone to forgive me of my sin, to give me that living new birth that provides hope. And and Father, I, I pray that um, if there is one here that, you know, is just ready to trust you, that now's a good day to do that. Never a bad day to do that. To, to accept, to receive, Father, to admit, to believe, to confess, to receive your wonderful gift, Father, that you give, which is that new start. In Jesus Christ, Father. I pray for that. And and pray for the rest of us, Father. That maybe we're, you know, like a fish. We don't know we're wet because we're in the water. And we're in your blessings. And we've just kind of forgotten about those blessings. And we're not, Father, we're not receptive. I pray that might change this morning. May we say, Lord, we know you've blessed us. Forgive me, Father, for taking you for granted. Wake me. Stir me, Father. And use me for your wonderful glory. I pray, Father, you would do your work this morning. And, Father, that we would simply respond. Because that's what matters, Lord. Not how much attention any of us get, but how much attention you get. That's what's a real worship service. That the real attention goes to you. And that's what we want, Father. And that's true also for this time we call response or invitation. May we give you the attention. So work in our hearts 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.